Hello, how are you? And welcome back to my blog of murder, mystery, mayhem. Today's blog is about the disappearance of Scott and social media. Just before I begin, I'd like to know that this blog, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And I don't do not mean to cause any offense or harm to the family or friends of anybody that I speak about. So Scott grew up in St. Charles, Missouri, which is about 20 minutes from St. Louis, across the Missouri River. It's a region with a lot of greenery, kind of up the, on the edge of where the urban region ends and the farmland begins. And back in 1988, everyone in the town would let their children roam free. One of the most famous places and one of Scott's favorites was known as the Trails. It was about 30 acres and it was at the intersection of Elm Street and Elm Point Road. There were hills with trails worn over for biking and hiking. And there was a creek for the children to play in. But maybe the most fascinating part of the trails was a complicated network of caves and tunnels that ran through one of the hillsides. The neighborhood children had begun digging the tunnel system in the 60s. And following generations had kept the tradition going. The caves went as deep as 30 to 40 feet into the ground in some regions. Scott's favorite aspect to do was to ride his bike along with the trails, but he may have visited often the caves as well. He likely stayed away from the creek though as he didn't like water. Scott was very close to his family. He had four siblings, Tim, who was 19 years old, 17-year-old Stacy, 12-year-old Richie, and six-year-old Tammy. He was very close with Richie. As the two were very close in age, they played football together. His mom, Peggy, said he was a mommy's boy, not too old yet to be offended about snuggling up with her on the couch while they watched a family film together. The day of his disappearance, June 8th, in 1988, was the final day of first grade for Scott. That morning, his parents promised to take him to get a new pair of shoes later to celebrate and probably go out to eat with the whole family. His dad, Richard, said that morning before we went to work. He was still in the home and watching his cartoons, and that's the last time I saw him. As I went to work, I said, we'll see you this evening. And he said, OK, Dad. Which of the information from, this, from that day comes from a 2011 interview that Nancy Grace performed with Richie, who goes by Richard now. But to minimize difficulty, as that is also his dad's name, I continuously refer to him as Richie. Scott got home around 3.30 that day and had some time to waste before the celebration started. He grabbed a snack, changed out of school uniform clothes and went out. He went to tour with a regional boy named Mike, who was close with both him and Richie. But Mike was finishing up dinner and told Scott he'd be out in a while. So Scott decided to play by himself. When Stacy left for work around 4.30, she's seen Scott playing on a grassy hill by their home. Soon after she's seen him, a storm broke out. It began abruptly, but was over by the time Scott's parents had got home at around 5.15. Despite the shortness, the storm had been so severe that it had flash floodings in the region. Richard and Peggy were shocked and a bit worried to see that Scott wasn't home, 
when they got there. He was scared of storms and they estimated that he'd want to get home as soon as it was over. But because Scott had said he was going to play with Mike, his family at the house weren't too anxious as they kind of thought the two boys would probably be at Mike's house together. So they sent Richie out with they sent Richie out to check with Scott's friends and the neighborhood children and to check the areas that they love to hang out at. But when he couldn't find anything or Scott anywhere, the family began knocking on doors. It was becoming obvious to them that something was really wrong here. They called the police around 8 p.m. when it began to get dark. The police showed up straight away. They took statements and began making preparations for an intensive inspection the following day. The search was strong, involving helicopters and 30 police officers scowling just the trails alone. They also had the regional children show them all the hangout spots and they began to search those. Local citizen Bob brought in three bloodhounds trained in tracking. Despite the storm, they were able to track Scott's odour from his house. The dogs did pursue this odour to the trails. But then they proceeded further to Fox Hill Road, where the scent just vanished near a construction site for a new apartment complex. The site was about three miles from the boys' house. That's according to Google Maps, but just about a mile as the crow flies. And Scott may have been eligible to take a more direct path back then. These scent trails were not from the day he disappeared, as Scott would explore often. Richie even said in a later interview that he just he thought it was very unlikely that Scott was at the trails that day. I don't think he made it to the forests because I don't because I was down there and there was just one away and one way out. So I would have had to have seen him. And I didn't notice him. And I came out that way before the storm had hit, and we never crossed paths. So if you ask me, he never made it into the dirt trails. So something had to have occurred on the road. Officers performed small inquiries in the area and followed up on leads. But the next massive search was in July. On July 4th, a local woman called in to report that she listened to a voice of a kid saying, help me near the trails. Police had followed up, but the lead was uncertain and there were a few details about it. This trip was one of many called in by psychics. The Chief of Detectives Bureau said law enforcement has publicly asserted they don't believe in psychics, but will still follow up on any guides just in case. Also, some later articles cited that someone cited someone had seen Scott playing by the caves right before the storm. No record of that sighting could be discovered, and it's apparent those articles are just implying this tip. And the details have gotten confused as time has gone on. Either way, it provoked police to scour the forest once again. On July the 5th, precisely six weeks since Scott had disappeared, the police went back to the trails to investigate again, this time concentrating solely on the caves. The caves were not straightened and Scott had disappeared just before a violent storm. So police were concerned that the boy might have pursued shelter in one of the cages and got caught in the cage. They brought in equipment for the tunnels, eradicate most of them in the procedure. It was bulldozers that went in and knocked some of the caves, right? He said the mud had been so flexible it could be dug with a spoon. 
and so he was stunned that no one had ever been hurt or murdered in a cave. After the investigation concluded, the project began by neighbourhood children 20 years early had eventually been destroyed. I mean, the caves were so kind of like, you know, these kids had dug these caves and basically they were made out of mud. So the police were afraid that when they'd gone in, you know, with all this equipment, like that literally like you could have dug a hole with a spoon, like the whole thing could have collapsed on anybody and it could have killed anybody. Plus if a murder had happened down there, they would have been able to hide the body, no problem at all. Peggy and Richard told the entire community a thank you for helping them, helping to assist them so much. Their co-workers brought food to them and two little girls opened up a lemonade stand to help raise money for the search. The girls then halted, stopped by the house and took in $26.26 profit that they made to help locate Scott. Neighbours and friends dropped off cards and said to the family that they were in their prayers, but the case grew cold. Although the media attention would shine on Scott's case in apparent relation to other missing children. In 1993, killing and disappearance of two more kids would provoke speculation and the resurgence in the news about Scott's case. In November, nine-year-old Angie from St. Louis was abducted and killed. Then in December, 10-year-old Cassidy disappeared while walking around in her neighborhood. Angie's killing was just recently solved in 2020. So the likelihood of whether or not her killer may have had something to do with Scott's disappearance has yet to be explored by the law enforcement. The case grew cold until 2007 when a Michael J. Devlin was imprisoned. His truck had fitted one sighted during the recent kidnapping of a local boy, Ben, and he finally admitted to abducting him during questioning. But when police scoured his apartment, they discovered Ben alive and well, thank God. But also, Sean, a boy been missing for four years. The case known as the Missouri Miracle brought scrutiny to other unsolved kidnappings in the region, and the FBI put together a task force in fear if Devlin could be credible for other kidnappings, including Scott. But about six months in, the task was suddenly disassembled, and no notification was given to the families and no information about what was discovered was shared publicly. In any case with Scott, back in the spotlight, a few regions of unrest were cleared up. The chief had mentioned in 1996 briefly that there was a sighting of Scott after a rainstorm, and this sighting was not heightened in the media until 2007, like. In a 2007 interview with Fox News, that the final substantiated sighting of Scott was by a neighbour who saw him stepping after the rainstorm. They had no reason to distrust his sighting and as a result leaned towards a kidnapping. He also said that due to the resemblances of situations, he always thought Scott's disappearance could be related to Sean and Arlen Henderson's cases. Arlen's kidnapping stays unsolved to this day. And he said because of this, he does not believe Scott's disappearance was connected to the storm. He said it was a misunderstanding that had prevailed in the media for quite a while. Richard further cleared up this in an interview with the O'Fallon Journal. He told that a neighbour contended to have noticed Scott after the thunderstorm stopped. They said he saw him stepping on his own on West Adams Street near Ken Drive and that he was splashing in puddles by the curb. 
case began to see new leads in 2016. Nonetheless, these guidelines have not been publicly panned out to anything. And his case has mostly fallen on the mainstream media. But that was also the year that the case began to persuade the attention of the internet people. These lovely armchair detectives, you've just got to love them. It began with a Reddit post on January 22nd, 2016. Someone posted a question on the Ask Reddit stop saying, to those who have accidentally murdered someone, what went wrong? One of the prominent replies read, this still disturbs me to this day. As children, we had a hideout in the dirt or cliff cove cave, right? This is the nicest approximation I can discover on Google. When you're three times taller and possibly 10 times as wide, there was a neighborhood child who in hindsight was possibly mentally handicapped in some way. But to us, he was just a weird, creepy kid. This was in the 80s and we weren't precisely raised PC. Three of us were led the way to our base and discovered a weird child sitting at the top of our guard chair. We shouted at him to get out and he said something like, make me and began hurling dirt and sticks down at us. We all ran around the side to make our way up. It gets pretty fuzzy here, but all I remember is he fell. I still remember the noise. Bang! When we get back down to check on him, he was in a very anxious stance with blood coming out of his mouth. We all just freaked out and ran home. And afraid no one has talked a word of it to this day to anyone. We didn't go back for over a month and never told a word of it between us. Again, this was in the 80s, so media wasn't like today. Opportunities are, it got a tiny article in the newspaper B section, missing mentally disabled kid discovered dead after fall or something like that. The comment obtained a slew of upvotes and reactions and the poster added an edit the next day, reacting to the most common questions. Well, I didn't anticipate waking up to this. I have no indication why we didn't tell our parents. We all just booked it for our respective houses without saying a word. I think it was primarily because he was the odd kid. And we all thought that would get us into trouble somehow. No, I don't think we were directly credible. Indirectly, perhaps. Again, it's all fuzzy and all I remember is us hurling sticks at each other. I've attempted to discover any record of them, but I can't find them. I recall the neighborhood children from those days, first names, but not the last. I've since shifted a few hundred miles away and didn't keep in touch. I don't even recall the creepy kid's first name. I have looked blindly for any record of the child and have spent hours on Facebook attempting to discover my old friends, but haven't discovered anything yet. No, I don't know if he perished or not that day. All I have to go off of is my mom mentioning him going missing and us not glimpsing him around after that. When we eventually went back to our base over a month later, there was nothing extraordinary, no police tape or anything like that. I don't recall any cops surveying the region or asking questions about him. This rapidly gained traction and people reacted wanting to know more. Someone inquired if they ever discovered a body and he responded, no idea. We were children, maybe 10 or 12. So we didn't precisely watch the news or read the paper. Even if our parents knew, I don't guess they would have said anything to us at that age. Even though he was relatively well known around the neighborhood. He went to a different school, so it was never brought up here. I did inquire my, to my parents, perhaps maybe 10 years ago, if they remembered him. And they said something 
along the lines of, yeah, didn't he go missing? And that's about as far as I'd like to push it. Numerous users advised him to go to the police or asserted their condolences. Others accused them of the killing. All of this provoked another user to examine further. They either tracked the poster's IP address to discover their name and address or the original poster, or OP had left sufficient in their history to be effort, sorry, effortlessly identifiable. Either way, the user examining them said, I figured out where OP was nowadays, his age, then where he was as a child based on his age, he said he was. They mentioned that the OP must have evolved around St. Louis and they saw a show that was only on St. Louis public TV from 1985 to 1991. And they went on to say how the poster's precise address, and it was within 30 minutes of St. Louis, one hour of St. Charles. They also went on to disclose even more data about the poster saying. They're also currently struggling with some medical problems and live near their mom. Appears probable to me that they moved back near home. They then decided to go through the missing persons cases from St. Charles, Missouri, even though it appeared very probable that police could have discovered the body and it wouldn't have been a missing person case in the first place. They said that they didn't bother with obituaries as they were well behind the paywall. They then reacted publicly with, was it Scott? He went missing in 1988 in St. Giles. Near where you were from and nowadays reside, correct? That would make you around 10 or 11 at the time he went missing. He would have been nine. This story started to disclose other subreddits and even other parts of the internet when it began to earn traction the poster then had doxed the actual confessor said so i'm the guy who commented scott check my history i won't say too much about who i've enticed about this but it's a problematic situation and this guy needs to talk to law enforcement right now i sent him much more information about this guy and they should be able to id him law enforcement has never said they followed up on this tip and by now have either tested it or their entire ability their entire ability or omitted it on principle as much of the data doesn't make sense primarily that the user made no mention of the flash flooding that day also there is no mention in any articles that scott was disabled and if he had been this certainly appears like something that would have been brought up during media coverage as it would have made it all the more urgent to discover him Unfortunately, a lot of this data is already getting mixed up and resulting in rumours about the case. In a post on our general sceptical unresolved mysteries subreddit, a post named Redditor admits to murder in childhood pal. Other Redditor investigates and substantiates it's true. Detailed the claim, but added in it a lot of data about Scott's case. That was not in the actual post. This made it seem as though the cases were an exact match. The post alleges that the Reddit user had said it was the final day of school and that there was a torrential downpour that day that may have washed away the corpse. Through Scott's case, but not mentioned anywhere in the OP's post. A few commenters suggested this, but that didn't halt others from picking up the story. Now several of the first various results that come up when looking for Scott's case on Google are all to do with the Reddit fiasco. And because of the false posting, the 
being one of the first results, it's rapidly becoming the narrative on YouTube and amateur crime blogs that the Redditor's admission matches Scott's case precisely. This extraordinary and likely fabricated tale has not yet earned sufficient traction that either law enforcement or Scott's family have felt the need to comment on it. But with Reddit users bringing up the thread on Facebook, it's only a matter of time. With so limited information publicly accessible on Scott's case, his story is well on the way to coming to be a tall tale about a scandalous omission and the internet detective who attempted to solve it. So what do you guys all think about that? Now, I'm a big Reddit fan and I have looked into the whole case myself. And yeah, I feel that it causes a lot of issues, especially when people start stating things that are facts and they're not facts at all. And especially when you Google a case and Reddit's coming up and We've all these armchair detectives running around trying to solve cases and trying to take it out of the law enforcement's hands. And at the end of the day, like, we're not actual detectives, we're just armchair detectives. And I feel that Scott's case has gone cold. Um, look, like, I don't feel that he was murdered by those boys. I, if he was disabled, it definitely would have been mentioned when he went missing at the time. And I, I, I'm not even sure if he's in the caves. I'm sure, I definitely think he must have been abducted and murdered. Like his brother said that he couldn't have been in the area. There was only one way in, one way out. And his brother would have seen him. You know, I feel tremendous sadness for the family involved because they have never got any closure at all. And there's nobody being named a person of interest. There's, there's no finger pointing. There's no nothing. There's a lot of information the parents don't know. And I believe they don't know it because law enforcement doesn't know it. But sure, let me know what you think. Have a great evening and catch you up during the week. Love you lots, Victoria.